Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 19 of Revelation chapter 11. And we're going to be reading Revelation 11, verse 11. And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Again, this is referring to the two witnesses, also called the two prophets, in verse 10. And they had been lying dead in the street, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. And spiritually, that's referring to the churches and congregations, the two witnesses, the witness, the testimony of the word of God within the church had finally come to an end. The church age had ended. And for three and a half days, a figure that God gives to represent the first part of the Great Tribulation period, which turned out to be an actual 2300 evening mornings from May 21, 1988 through September 7th, 1994, is when the two witnesses were lying dead in the street. And it was a time wherein virtually no one was being saved in the world. Absolutely no one was being saved in any church from the point that God's Spirit departed out of the midst, and that would have been at the very beginning of the end of the church age, the judgment commencing upon the congregations and the Great Tribulation. They're they're all happening at once. But now, the three-and-a-half-day period has expired. It's after three days and a half, and the Spirit of life from God entered into them, the two prophets or two witnesses, and they stood upon their feet. So this is pointing to the second part of the Great Tribulation period. It's pointing to the time after the 2300 days, which would be September 7th, 1994, the time in which God would begin to evangelize the world once again, a second outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The first was accomplished during the church age, and then that outpouring of the Holy Spirit came to a close at the end of the church age. And now, after this 2300 days, which is a period of six years and about four months, once again, God is going to recover the remnant of his people by sending forth his Spirit into the world During a glorious period of time, the Bible calls the latter rain. The Bible also identifies this period of time as a jubilee period, a second outpouring of the jubilee. As the Lord Jesus Christ was born in 7 BC, a jubilee year, and then um, following his ministry, following his going to the cross and death and resurrection, There came the day of Pentecost, when Pentecost was fully come, meaning God was going to spiritually fulfill 
what Pentecost had always pointed to, as it was the Feast of First Fruits, and God saved 3,000 on the day of Pentecost in 33 AD to signal the beginning of the church age, the beginning of what could be known as the first jubilee, as Jesus was the essence of the jubilee. He came to set the captives free, and now the entire church age identified with a extended jubilee period as God was saving people all over the world through the congregations that he had established. And it was a spiritual jubilee period that came to a close along with the church age in 1988. But then 2,300 days later, which again is typified by this three and a half days that the two witnesses are lying dead in the street, 2,300 days later comes September 7th, 1994 and September 7th was the first day of the Hebrew seventh month in a jubilee year. And the first day of the seventh month in a jubilee year was a day of trumpets when the trumpet would sound to announce the jubilee. And so God began that second jubilee period as well as it could be called, as I said before, a second outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it was also known as the latter rain. That's what's in view here when the two witnesses, two prophets, stand upon their feet after three days and a half. Let's look at this again in Revelation 11, 11. And after three days and a half, and think of that as after the first part of the Great Tribulation, which is identified as three and a half days here. It's identified from Daniel as 2300 evening mornings. It's identified by Revelation 8.1 statement of silence in heaven about the space of half an hour, as it's not an exact half, but it's part of that hour of judgment of the Great Tribulation. And so these are all referring to the same time period. After three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. Now, the, the reference to the spirit of life reminds us of what is said in John chapter 6 in verse 63. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. It is the spirit that quickeneth, and quickeneth means brings to life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And again, the two witnesses are typified by Moses and Elijah. They're the two prophets. And now they stand upon their feet. And Moses and Elijah also, in turn, represent the law and the prophets or the word of God. And now after three days and a half, the spirit of life of God entered into them. And as we just read in John 6.63... The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It's basically declaring that the word of God is once again empowered. It's once again going forth in a mighty way and uh, it will accomplish the purpose of God of bringing salvation. And by the way, just keep in mind why the two witnesses, first of all, have to identify with the Word of God, the Bible, and not true believers. True believers identify with the two witnesses 
as we are very closely associated with the Word of God and we're messengers of the Word of God. But consider this, that after three days and a half takes us back to September 1994. And where were most true believers at that time? They were in the churches and congregations wherein God's Spirit had left and God was doing no saving work. Within the church, no one was being saved despite the presence of true believers. God had not yet opened the scriptures to the degree where he would reveal the end of the church age and his command for his people to come out of the church that would not be for a few years. And and so as the two witnesses stand upon their feet, after the three and a half days, or after the first part of the Great Tribulation, in September of 1994, when the latter rain began to go forth, it cannot in the first instance be referring to the true believers, because they are in the church. And we'll see that, as it says here, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet, is language indicating that the gospel is going forth and it is going to save. And true believers within the church were not in a position to carry the gospel message at that time because they would have been associated with the church. Any attempt to evangelize or be some sort of missionary for the gospel while in a church meant you came under the umbrella of the church and there just could be no blessing of God. But outside the churches, God was working with his word in certain ways with the electronic medium where there would be a ministry that had no association with the church There could be blessing upon that word that was going out apart from the control or rule or authority of churches and congregations. And there was maybe a few of God's people outside the churches themselves, but primarily the focus is on the word of God coming to life. And God's people, yes, identify with that word But primarily, the focus is upon now it's time in God's program of times and seasons to once again enlighten the Word of God, to give it the power to bring life to the hearers of it that were outside of the church. Well, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 2. We have similar language to what we just read In Revelation 11, it says in Ezekiel 2, in verse 1, And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me. So far we see that the command to stand upon the feet is given. The Spirit entered into him, just as we read the Spirit of life entering into the two witnesses. And then it continues, And when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. 
I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord Jehovah. Now in this case, Ezekiel is sent to the house of Israel, to the rebellious house, to declare to them they are a rebellious house, that they are under the wrath of God. And we can see how this fits in some ways to the information God did open up from the scriptures during the time period of the latter reign, the last 17 years about of the Great Tribulation from 1994 through 2011, when he did reveal during that time period that the churches were a rebellious house and that judgment had begun upon the house of God. And God did command his people to proclaim these things, to speak these things. And and so we can see that connection between what God is saying to Ezekiel. But what's important for us to understand is to notice that when God says to Ezekiel, stand upon your feet, that that language is connected to or join with being sent forth. And again, verse 1, Son of man, stand upon thy feet. Verse 2, The Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me, and he said unto me, in verse 3, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation. And there we see that being commanded to stand upon your feet is to take a position in which you will be sent forth with the message from the word of God, from God himself. And to stand upon your feet relates to the language of the Bible. How beautiful are the feet of them that bring glad tidings of good news. And as we read in Isaiah or Romans. And so God is positioning the two witnesses. They are being sent into the world with the gospel. That's what standing upon the feet is referring to. It has nothing to do with being taken up into heaven in the rapture. As some are mistakenly trying to understand the three and a half days as this time period we're in, where our witness has been killed, they erroneously believe, And at the end of the three and a half days, we stand upon our feet. And um, great fear falls upon them which see this and so forth. And then they think the next verse has to do with the rapture. It is completely wrong. They have not bothered to check out what it means in the Bible to stand upon the feet. I haven't seen anybody who believes this idea, do a simple study and follow the language that God gives us to see what it identifies with. Show from the Bible that standing upon one's feet is related to going up in the rapture. Well, they can't do that. As we saw in Ezekiel 2, it's not related to that at all. It's related to being sent with the word of God, with the gospel message. For instance, in Acts 26, we we read of the Apostle Paul who is recounting 
what happened to him when earlier in his life he was taking a trip to Damascus to hail men and women of that way, the Christian way, and to cast them into prison and compel them to blaspheme when he was Saul of Tarsus. And yet something dramatically occurred on the road that changed Saul of Tarsus into another man, and he became the Apostle Paul. And by the way, the word apostle means sent. And Paul insists that he is an apostle, the last one to see the risen Savior and to be sent. So he is that 13th apostle. Just as Israel had 13 tribes, but actually 12, so there were 13 apostles, but actually 12. Uh, Well, anyway, in Acts 26, it says in verse 13, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet. Okay, now let's notice that language. Rise and stand upon thy feet. That's the phrase we're following from Revelation 11.11. We saw in Ezekiel 2. And then it continues, For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. There it is again. We saw in Ezekiel 2, Ezekiel, stand upon your feet, and the Spirit of God entered into him, And then God said to him, I send thee to the house of Israel. And here with Paul, who uh, at the time he was initially sent, or he was commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ, he was Saul, but now as he's retelling the story, he is that apostle, the sent one, Paul. And he is saying again in Acts 26, 17, that the Lord Jesus said to him, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. Why is he sending Paul to the Gentiles or to the nations? In verse 18, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And we can see that this is language that is very clearly describing going forth with the word of God, wherein God will bless that word and bring salvation to the ones that uh, Paul was being sent to. And that's exactly what's in view with the two prophets after the three and a half days, which can only 
it can only possibly relate to the first part of the Great Tribulation, and then after the three and a half days is language referring to the second part of the Great Tribulation, when the 2300 evening mornings conclude, and the latter rain begins, and now the two witnesses are sent forth once again to witness, to prophesy, they stand upon their feet, signaling, indicating they are sent from God with the gospel, and it's really a twofold purpose. They are sent with the same message as Ezekiel, to declare to the house of Israel, your rebellious house, and they are sent with the same message as the apostle Paul, to the Gentiles, to deliver them from darkness, to open their eyes, to bring the gospel that grants forgiveness of sins. And and God accomplished both purposes over the last 17 years of the Great Tribulation as he condemned the churches from the opening of his word. The condemnation got greater and greater as the Great Tribulation went on until finally they were utterly destroyed by the word of God on May 21, 2011, and have been ever since. And also God accomplished the purpose of saving the Gentiles, the people of the nations, a great multitude. And it's all a result of the two witnesses standing upon their feet. At that time, the word of God was going forth with great power, and God was blessing it mightily all across the earth outside of the churches and congregations. Well, let's just look at one last thing before we move on to the second part of the verse. In Genesis chapter 45, in the latter chapters of the book of Genesis, from Genesis 37 through 47, about those 10 chapters especially, God uh, gives us the historical account of Jacob and his family and Joseph, and Joseph being sold into Egypt as a slave and, and then interpreting the dreams of the butler and the baker in the prison and finally uh, interpreting Pharaoh's dream concerning uh, stalks of corn and and, and uh, fat and skinny cows. And, and Pharaoh is so pleased with the interpretation that he lifts Joseph up out of the prison to be his right-hand man, the, the second in charge of all Egypt. And, and it was a wise move for Pharaoh to do. The dreams that Pharaoh dreamed were concerning the the seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. The seven years of famine typify the Great Tribulation period. We know this because Acts 7 uses those very two words, Great Tribulation, Megas Thalipsis in the Greek, to describe the dearth that came upon the world at, in, in the days of Joseph. And then we find that Joseph um, is concealing himself from his brethren as his, bre- his brothers travel into Egypt 
to fine corn it, uh, it, to uh, aid them uh, to survive this grievous famine. Well, after a while, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brethren. And all this is a picture of the two parts of the Great Tribulation. For five years, Jacob and his family suffer in the land, or for two years, excuse me, they suffer in the land of Canaan under that famine. But then once Joseph reveals himself, then they are brought into Egypt to be nourished and cared for by Joseph, a type of Christ, for the remainder of the famine, the the last five years. And that pictures the breakup of the Great Tribulation. The first two years are are like the three and a half days the two witnesses are laying in the street. They're like the 2300 evening mornings. They're like the about half hour of silence. The last five years are likened to the latter rain or to the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the second jubilee and so on. And now what's amazing is we read in Genesis 45 when Jacob finally hears, he has thought Joseph has been dead for years, but he finally hears from his sons returning from Egypt that he's alive. Now you can imagine how um, fearfully Jacob's sons must have told him this information after what they did to him. But let's read in Genesis 45 in verse 25, And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. You see, Joseph makes himself known. And at the dividing point of the Great Tribulation, a dramatic change is taking place. And Jacob's spirit revives. It's very similar to the two witnesses while they're in the church, while they're suffering that first part of the Great Tribulation, they're dead. They're lying dead in the street. But once the time comes, once God is ready to move from the first part to the second part of his plan, and now he's ready to save that great multitude, well, the word comes from Joseph, from the Lord Jesus Christ, that revives the spirit of Jacob. And and yes, it in a way, it revived the spirit of God's elect. Also, uh, as the elect would identify more and more with the two prophets standing upon their feet during that last half of the Great Tribulation, as uh, slowly they came out of the churches and 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 began more and more to once again completely identify with the law and the prophets with the Bible, and and they revived along with 
the Word of God, the revival. It, uh, I don't like using that word, but in this case, it, it applies. It was a revival of God's evangelization program one last time, one final glorious period of great salvation. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.